Welcome to Born to be Breastfed with your host, Marie Biancuso. Our program aims to help you bust through the breastfeeding myths and ensure you and your baby enjoy the breastfeeding journey. Over the next hour, we'll help you figure out how to overcome the obstacles you might encounter and how to incorporate breastfeeding into your busy life. Now, here is your host, Marie Biancuso. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed, where every week we debunk the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding, birthing, and beyond. And today, we're really going to go a little more in the birthing as it relates to breastfeeding. If any of you have hung around me long enough, you know how strongly I feel that breastfeeding does not happen in a vacuum. Breastfeeding is very much connected to the birthing process. And to that end, I have with me today, Dawn Thompson. Dawn, welcome to the show. Great. Thanks for having me. Dawn is the founder of Improving Birth. She's been in the birth industry since 2003, supporting hundreds of families during the birth and postpartum period. During her work, she has witnessed extensive use of non-evidence-based care that has contributed to higher rates of induction, cesarean sections, and other interventions. Now, Dawn is not a gal who's going to stand by. She first organized a small rally at a local San Diego hospital in late 2011, which opened the doors of communication with, guess what, the hospital administration. Then came the national rally to improve birth in 2012 with, get this, 110 locations in 46 states with over 250 media outlets covering the story. Dawn strives to educate and empower women to take charge of their maternal health decision-making and to bring awareness to our maternity care crisis. So Dawn, we see that you certainly made a lot of noise here, but uh, (laughs) tell us, how did you get so interested in this? How did you get into this? Well, I mean, I think that, um, yeah, I should back it up just a little bit. I really (laughs) didn't know. I really didn't know anything about the issues in maternity care. Um, I just knew that for a long time I wanted to be a midwife. Like if someone had asked me, you know, that question, like, what do you want to do when you grow up? up. (laughs) It was to be a midwife. And I'm not even sure quite honestly where that came from. Um, and, um, but but eventually the road uh, opened up to become a doula um, with my intention of becoming a midwife in the future. And uh, I was um, pleasantly oblivious to Mm. what was going on until I started attending births. And I was so shocked at, first of all, the amount of interventions that were happening for no reason. Like, I mean, just no good reason at all. And, oh, well, you're 40 weeks and, and uh, two days. So, you know, you're past 40 weeks or you're past 39 weeks. You need to have an induction. And, and, and consistently, fairly consistently, those births ended in cesareans. And then, and then when the women, when I was supporting women who were really um, educated and were, you know, tr- trying to exercise their rights, um, there was a lot of, of, abuse, frankly, and whether, you know, and obviously you can describe that in many different ways, but um, I just was so frustrated with the overuse of everything. And I just, Mm. as, and I wasn't a medical professional, but I mean, 
it, it's called common sense. In my <laughs> opinion. Uh-huh, um, uh-huh. And by the way, I was, I'm there with you, John. I uh-huh. actually was a professional. And the first time that I saw all that intervention in birth, I was like, what? Uh, Whoa! Why, yeah. why are we doing this? Yeah, yeah talk, and especially talk about oblivion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and especially when we when I would just have those patients just look at me, those mamas look at me, and just be like, "What in the hell happened?" Yeah, you know, how did this happen to me? Did I really, you know? And I'd be with them at their follow up visit, you know, days after they'd had their baby, and they'd still be reeling from what happened, and so, you know, just devastated and. And I knew that it was because they were intervening in something that didn't need to be intervened at the time. You know, there was no medical indications. And I, guess, I was fed up. I was just fed up. That's how I got into it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I get I get it. You know, I oh I could oh I could totally uh have I could hog the whole show talking about that myself, but I, you're the guest today, so I want to, I, I want to give you your chance to tell us how fed up you were. Now, Don, uh, I know that you are here for traumatic birth, and you call it traumatic birth. I just want to make sure that we all understand because for some people, when they talk about traumatic birth, what they mean is the baby aspect, but you're looking at the mother aspect. So how yeah. do you, how do you define traumatic birth? Well, I mean, I think the definition can be broad and mm-hmm. uh, and everyone can, you know, because it's an individualized experience, um, it's such a, you know. Would it be fair to say that it's the gap between what you had hoped for and what really happened? Yeah, I suppose so. But I think that um, there's so many different levels to it. You know, it could uh-huh. be, uh, especially because a lot of women would experience, would say, oh man, my birth was terrible, but they wouldn't necessarily describe it as traumatic, even okay. though, even though it might have been, um, not everyone associates with the birth, with the word traumatic, but right. if right. you had a procedure that was unconsented, if you had a vaginal exam that nobody, they just they didn't even say anything to you. They just went in and did it. Yep. Or, yep. or you had a nurse who was just disrespectful and condescending in the way she spoke to you and unkind. And, um, you know, if you're expressing, there was a video just that I saw just yesterday of a, a mama in labor and she was trying to talk to her nurse about how uncomfortable she was and how she was finding it impossible to relax between contractions. And the nurse's tone was so condescending and like one mom might find that to be traumatic or it's the thing that stays you know anything that your if your birth is it's hard work there is no question some people Mm. have it easier some people don't but it's that's why they call it labor work yeah it's hard work and it's difficult but there's a difference between the trauma of the maternity care system and the trauma of childbirth. Mm. We mix those two up often. I would totally, totally agree. And by the way, Don, I just want to say that as a nurse who has worked a lot of labor and delivery, I will tell you that I, I think I was often that nurse who was condescending or bossy or insensitive or whatever. And I'm ashamed to say this, but 
I think I picked it up from every other nurse that acted that way, and I thought that that was okay. Right. And then, you know, one day it just kind of like a bell went on for me that I could accomplish what I needed to accomplish without any of that attitude, you know? So, Dawn, tell us about this. Uh, I'm very curious because you have several times talked uh, about when interventions are not necessary. I struggle with this a lot. There are times when I walk away from something and I say, and we really need to do all that stuff we just did to her. And other times when I say, boy, it's a really good thing we did all that stuff. Uh, there are, you know, there, this is why cesarean sections are however many years old from the time of Caesar because it had to be done. So how do you help women to differentiate between what is necessary and what is not necessary? Well, I mean, I think the information is at the at our fingertips at this point, you okay. know, um, and I encourage women to go look at the information. I mean, what, evidence-based birth, um, the website Evidence-Based Birth by Rebecca Decker is oh, Decker, yeah. the most comprehensive, um, putting all of the studies and research into, into terms that people can understand. And uh, I think that that's probably the greatest thing that we do is, is, is steer people in that direction to help them get it. Um, and, and also just to feel confidence in the process, you know, it's like, it's a normal physiological process. It is. And, you know, but I think more importantly, you've got to be able to trust your provider, you know? That's a clunker because I have found that sometimes what happens is the mother, the woman is just worn out. She's just, she's just worn out. And she doesn't have the strength to advocate for herself, which, of course, is a great reason why we need doulas, because uh, the doula kind of helps her to hang on. And it's it's really frightening sometimes when you see or or better yet, the doctor who was her doctor isn't her doctor because he's on vacation or whatever his partner is covering. And you get that whole bit. But I. It's, well, and then other women, uh, women that are, um, you know, not in the greatest financial situation have even less options, right? Absolutely. They, if they're on state support for their medical care, they have very limited options. And, you know, I think like what you said, though, you know, in that situation, it's making sure that your your partner can advocate for you and having a birth advocate like a doula. And there is a difference. If you oh, want yes. a doula to be an advocate, you need to hire a doula that is an advocate and interview for that. because there's a lot of organizations that teach doulas that they should not be advocates that they are there for emotional support and that's it and um i i definitely i highly differ in that in that opinion and so if you are searching for an advocate you need to interview for an advocate and ask those questions of a doula that you're interviewing Whoa. Now, Don, I have interviewed a lot of doulas. We've had doulas on the show, and I've never heard one say that advocating wasn't her job or that she hadn't been trained for that or authorized for that or whatever, because I'm thinking that advocacy, I mean, in my head, advocacy is a major part of support. I agree. Right? Yes, I agree. But there's definitely a school of thought that would um, place doulas as not even, I mean, there's some organizations that say you can't even go and, 
you know, give them information. If they're in do- if their doctor is encouraging induction, it's not your place to go find an article on evidence-based care, evidence-based birth, I mean, and send it to them. Well, so, I, I uh, yeah, that's yeah. Not, that that could be a whole show all on its own. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. might be a good one, good one to have to 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 debate that those two sides because I think it's I you know I think there is some perspective and I and I understand it and honestly, I you know part of the reason that I left doula work was because I couldn't keep my mouth shut anymore. Oh and yes. I was, yes. was inevitable that I was going to be, you know, probably kicked out of a hospital because I was, I was no longer willing to stand by and just be a witness. And so now I advocate from a different perspective. Yeah. And I have to tell you, I think that that's one of the reasons why I eventually sort of steered towards the breastfeeding piece, because as much as I loved working in labor and delivery, and I actually thought I was good at it. And I think the patients thought I was good at it, but I just got so, it was just day after day and thing after thing. And I fought like a crazy lady, but at some point I just, I just didn't want to be part of that anymore because there was just so much stuff that was just so wrong. It was so wrong. And then, by the way, when you get to the breastfeeding piece, what you see is that, in fact, these babies that have had all of these interventions, it absolutely impacts on breastfeeding. And, boy, are we going to talk more on the other side of the break. Hey, everybody, do not go away. I'm here today with John Thompson. We will be right back after this short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I'm Marie Biancuso. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed. And before we go on today with my guest, Don Thompson, I would just like to invite you to make sure that you come to my new website. It's MarieBiancuso.com. That is Marie Biancuso, M-A-R-I-E-B-I-A-N-C-U-Z-Z-O. Now, if you visited me at my old website, that's great, but I'm kind of rolling out a new one, so I really want you to come find out what's there. We've got some goodies for you, and, uh, you know, consider it kind of a housewarming gift just because you stopped by. Okay, so, Don, I want to talk a little bit more about this, and I'm thinking about my sister, she had a very interesting line. Uh, she delivered her babies in 1969 and in 1971. And she talked about the God doctor syndrome. Mm. I thought that was a very interesting uh, label, the God doctor. And she said, oh, I don't have time for all these God doctors. And I think that we've still got that. I think it's lesser now. But... Uh, Tell us what you what do you do when either the patients or the staff or maybe even the doctor himself says, well, the doctor knows best. Well, John, you're just the doula. What could you possibly know? Right. Of what could you possibly know? <laughs> you're just a woman. What could just you know? Just a woman who's given birth a time or two. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Births. Um you know, I think that we have to understand because I don't want to make I don't want to paint doctors and nurses to be out to be bad people no, because no, they got into this work because most of them because they wanted to help people. Sure. And anytime you have a position of power, there's always going to be an element of that where it gets kind of out of control. Hmm. And um this is an issue. It's always going to be an issue. The minute that you put someone in the power over you, it's going to be a problem in most cases. And it's it's why we have to take responsibility for ourselves and for the birth that we want because everyone's an individual. And providers and nurses are dealing with all kinds of other issues. And yeah. You know, they're they're dealing they they too are working within a broken system. Sure. They're working in sure. a system that is misogynistic and patri- patriarchal. You know, and and because those systems exist, it's 
you can't trust that they're always going to be making the right decisions for you because they, they, there's so many other things that are going into play about how they manage their day and their lives. Listen, being an obstetrician, I think is one of the hardest jobs there is. And the guys that I know, there's, I say guys because there's two particular and there's two other women too, but two particular obstetricians that I spend a lot of time with. And when I, and they are doing it right. They both have um, between 10 and 15% cesarean rates. Oh, very nice. low, very low oh. rates, you know, Congrats. and they're doing it right. But I was just talking to Dr. Shavira and like, he worked 90 hours last week. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, like they, the, the because the system is so broken and because there's so few providers that practice like they do, it's difficult for them to even find partners at this point that can help alleviate the load. And Donna, as I hear you talking, there's something that jumps out in my head, which is, I think that it would behoove all of us, whether we are patient or provider, to get away from this idea that it's a vertical relationship. It should not be a vertical relationship. It should be a, hey, we are all in this together. We all want the best outcomes. It should not be that that the woman feels like she needs to take, uh, I I don't want to say orders, but you know what I mean, that somehow... This care should be centered around her, not the Correct. other way around. Not and the other way around, yes. Let me just tell you a story because I think that this, or, or we'll just share like a, a, a realization that I had. I sure. had been a doula for four years um, before I finally attended my first home birth. And I literally cried all the way home because I thought, how on earth am I ever going to do another birth in a hospital after experiencing that? And, yes. and here was the big revelation that when, when a woman is in her home, whoever is entering her home is a guest subconsciously. Mm, yes. Subconsciously, they are her guests and they act accordingly. And when, you, when a woman goes into a hospital, you become their guest subconsciously. Good thought. Yeah, and and it yeah. and whether you like it or not, that's just the mentality that happens, and we have to flip that switch. That culture change has to happen if we're going to improve birth, because the women, the woman needs to be the center of care. Period. And yes. that baby, because they are both going to have better outcomes if they are. This whole "we are the boss of you" is a serious problem. Mm. And it mm. and it is it is it is where we filter everything through. And if we could get to this place of I'm here to guide you and give you suggestions and support as a provider and I will help you make the best decision, but I'm but but it's up to you. Like you you get to be the decision maker here. But it's also I mean like it's it's absurd that only a, a, a very, very small percentage of people are taking childbirth education classes. Oh, that's, that's huge another whole issue. problem. Yeah, yeah. And, and they need to be out of hospital births because, out, frankly, hospital birth, uh, hospital um, childbirth education classes are typically just teaching you how to be a good patient. They're not <laughs> teaching you how to labor and birth. I hadn't really thought about that. But, yeah. so Don, let me right into my next question, which is, 
what sort of questions should women raise before their birth, maybe before they uh, get their doctor on board, maybe before they pick out, well, you can't really pick out your hospital. The hospital kind of goes with the doctor. But, but what questions would you suggest that a woman ask before she gives birth? Well, I think that they you can ask, like, what's a medical indication for mm-hmm. induction? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's your cesarean rate? Most of them have no idea, by the way. And if they don't know, it's already a red flag. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. We have we actually have an article on our website uh, called about you know red flags basically you know red flags I'm trying to think of its name now of course but anyways but it's like the things to look for but I think questions like you know what do you believe is an uh, is an indication a, a medical indication and um and uh, do you support my desire to go full forty two weeks before we even consider any sort of intervention. Um, you know, do you, how, what, what's your stance on, you know, quote unquote, big baby? What is, right. Mm -hmm. That's a big one. What what do you feel about low amniotic fluid levels? And, you know, those are, those are important. Those are all important questions because those are the main things that we see the most common things that we see for induction, big baby, low amniotic fluid. And then of course, if they're going for a VBAC, you need to understand what their VBAC policy is. There are a lot of doctors who are VBAC tolerant versus VBAC supportive. Mm. And you need to be, there's a list on our, another list on our website about VBAC supportive versus VBAC tolerant and um, go down that list because you'll be able to really weed out a doctor or a provider or midwife um, if you... Yeah. Don, excuse me. Uh, we have uh, th- people in 65 different countries listening, so I'm ah. not sure everybody knows. A VBAC is a vaginal birth after cesarean. V-B-A-C. I think I got them all there. Yeah. Uh, and I will also tell you that at least here on the East Coast, we are not seeing people clamoring for VBACs. It sounds like you in, you're in San Diego, Yes. Yes. Yeah, you probably see more of that, and and are you saying there's just not as much support for that? Yeah, there's little. 42% of hospitals in this country either have a a ban or a pseudo ban on vaginal birth after cesarean. Wow. Uh, Even though every major health organization says it's a safe option for most women, it's estimated that at least 70% would be successful if they attempted a vaginal birth Mm -hmm. after cesarean. Yeah, And and I think the national rate is somewhere around 9% which is absurd. If we just supported women in vaginal birth after cesarean, our cesarean rate would decline significantly. Well, in my experience lately, it's kind of like, oh no, why would I do that when I could just schedule my cesarean and I could have my mother here on the date and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, oh honey, you have no idea. Like when you get through with a vaginal birth, uh, your whole recovery and your ability to take care of yourself, your newborn, breastfeed your newborn, take care of your other little kids and everything else is just so hugely improved. Yeah, and I think that's true. But some women recover just fine from a cesarean. So yes. I, I don't think, yes. and, re, and, it, and it's still such a short period of time. I think the biggest issue is that women have no idea about the long-term effects of having a cesarean on their baby and their right. themselves. And no one's telling them that they have a 50% increased risk. Their baby has a 50% increased risk for obesity, allergies, 
gut issues, long to asthma. I mean, the, the, the amount of health issues that come along with a baby who's born by cesarean is pretty significant. And that does not even start to talk about the microbiome that oh, we right, can right, establish right. <laughs> childbirth. Yes. You yes. know, a lot of people have no idea. And, and then the, the, you know, there's a huge increase for a need for, um, for, um, Antibiotics taken out. No, the okay. women having to have hysterectomies, um, bowel obstruction, like uh, scar tissue issues, bladder issues. You know, it's like nobody's telling them all of these things before they say, oh, I think I'm just going to sign up. You know what? I don't care if somebody chooses a cesarean. If that's what you want to do, absolutely. But you, I want you to have all of the information before you make that decision because the worst possible scenario is that you say, I, if I would have known this, I wouldn't have done that. And nobody wants to have regrets. And by the way, before we go to break, I just want to make a comment about what Dawn said of the increase in uh, obesity, asthma, et cetera, et cetera. As she, was list- as she was talking, I was thinking so many of those risks are associated with formula feeding. And a woman who has had a cesarean is also more likely to formula feed. So whether or not that's isolated, I don't know. But hey, listen, we got to go, but we'll be right back after this short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto with Born to be Breastfed, and I am here today with Don Thomas. Excuse me, Don Thompson. I'm sorry. That's okay. Uh, Don, uh, tell me about this. Don't you think that women very often say or someone says to them, oh, you've got a nice, healthy baby. You should be happy. Everything is good. Uh, why is it that, that that's kind of overshadowing? In other words, the outcome has over, overshadowed the process. Talk well, to us it, about that. Yeah, I mean, all too often, healthy means merely surviving birth for both moms and babies. And that's, you know, that's not good enough. For most of us, birth is not just about having a fetus extracted from our uterus in the most efficient way possible, right? Right. Right. It's a it's a defining life experience that sticks with us. And our birth stories affect the postpartum period, breastfeeding, our relationships with our babies, our families, our attitudes about ourselves and our future births. It means more than just like, oh, well, you know, it's two different things. Having a healthy baby is always what you want. Of but course. that doesn't that doesn't circumvent how it felt, right? Like how it feels yeah. to you. And I've had women tell me they failed when they had a cesarean section. Um, not, not, not to mention, by the way, that we healthcare providers use that word, a failed induction, a uh, yes. failed forceps, failure to progress. We have that whole failure language. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's, I know that I personally felt broken. I had mm. I had two cesareans. Well, I had three cesareans mm. in the end. And I just felt like there was something wrong with me. You know, that, that, I mean, the doctor literally sat on the end of my bed after my first cesarean and said, you know, you would have been one of those women who died in childbirth back in the day, you know? Wow. And yeah, and I... I really, I love that story, honestly. I love the drama of it. And I told it over and over and over again. And it wasn't until I became a doula and I recognized that I was just another number. They induced me. They cranked up that pit as far as they could. They broke my water. My baby went into distress. And then they became the saviors instead of the fact that, you know, no, actually, you're the one that caused the stress to my baby. Mm -hmm. You felt violated. Well, no, I didn't. Know. Well, I mean, yes, eventually, but I didn't mm. at the time. At the time. I was, like, yeah. I was just like, they saved me. They saved my baby. <laughs> you know, like, 
how to drama here. Yeah, yeah. cesarean, you know, like I was just this whole thing. And then it was, it was the truth later that came that I recognized that all of the interventions, unnecessary interventions that they were doing, instead of just sending my butt home, I wasn't in labor. You know, I wasn't in true labor. Just send me home. I could, you know, like that's what I should have done. But, you know, far too often the, the healthy baby phrase is used to justify a disappointing, difficult, or traumatic birth experience. Mm, it's said by our providers. It's said by our friends, our families, who, you know, well, as we're reeling from the shock of what happened and trying to wrap our hands around something that seemed to go just suddenly totally out of control. And it's, it's the phrase that people use when they don't know what else to say. And also when they don't know how to support that person. And it's literally one of probably the most painful things that you could say to a woman, because what it says is be quiet, be quiet, don't complain, you shouldn't be complaining, you've got a healthy baby, you're alive, that's all that really matters. It's wow. not It's not all that really matters. Hmm. Yeah. Whoa. Uh, Don... Some of what you're talking about right now uh, leads me to another question, which is you you and others have mentioned a non-consensual medical intervention. Yeah. Can you give us some examples of that? Sure. I mean, uh, um, a vaginal exam without someone saying, Hi, I'm gonna. I mean, we've had so many stories of women who were sleeping with an epidural to wake up to a provider or a nurse doing an exam, doing a vaginal exam. Um, and for some women, that would be traumatic. Or um, even worse, though, which I have witnessed multiple times, unfortunately, is a woman in the throes of labor, and a provider has. Um, do, is doing a vaginal exam and, and the woman is, it's causing her a lot of pain because they're either like trying to stretch the cervix, like whatever, they're doing something that is extremely painful. And that woman is literally begging them to stop. Oh, and yes. The, the provider's thought is because this is their job, right? This is what they do every day. And their response is just, let me just one more minute. Just let me, let, uh, let me just finish what I'm doing. Let me finish the exam. I've got to examine you. And the woman is crying and begging for them to stop. And I've witnessed that myself multiple sure. times. Sure. And, uh, and, uh-huh. and it's not, that it is an unacceptable thing. If a woman is asking you to stop, you need to stop immediately. Period. Stop immediately. Um, episiotomies. We hear about episiotomies. Oh, hot. Yes. Scented. They just do it. And um, and in some cases, you know, the provider will just be like, well, I just, I was just doing my job. It was what was necessary. It was, you know, whatever, but not okay. Definitely not okay. And then we've had, you know, um, women who were forced into cesareans because their provider says, absolutely not. We do not support VBAC. I will call Child Protective Services, if you refuse, we had, there's a case, Renat Dre, in New York, who actually sued her providers for forcing her into a cesarean. She was literally, you know, begging not to go back into surgery, and they knocked her out and did a cesarean. They wound up nicking her bladder. (gasps) 
Yeah, it was pretty serious. And um, believe it or not, she lost her case. Okay, I'm just trying to put this together in my head. Why do you, I'm sure this is a long story, but uh, what's the bottom line for why she lost her case? I would guess because they were able to prove that, that some dreadful thing would have happened to the baby if they hadn't, right? Something along those lines? No, they weren't. It was just no. the doctor knows best. The judge believed that doctor knows best. There's lots of articles out there. Renat Dre, um, R-I-A-N-T-D-R-A-Y. Spell that again, please. In New York, Renat, R-I-A-N-T, and then Dre, D-R-A-Y. Uh-huh. Okay, got it. And you can look up her case online. Um, Kimberly, Kimberly Turbin, who we supported for three years through her case um, against with assault and battery case against her physician for exactly that. Her force episiotomy was caught on video. Um, and it's, I don't know, it's had over a million views of her video. Uh, but the she was literally begging him not to cut her. And not only did he cut her, he wound up cutting her punitively. He cut her 12 times, which you can, oh. you can hear in the video. He was very disrespectful um, in his language. And he is no longer practicing medicine. He revoked his license or he re- relinquished they, his license. Right, yeah. mm-hmm. And um, she settled her case through mediation. But um, but yeah, those were those were extreme examples, right? Those are extreme examples. But most of the time, it's just, you know... Um, We've heard, you know, Pitocin started without discussion. We've heard um, lots of different, lots of different things, but mostly the minor things that that happen are vaginal exams and episiotomies and breaking up the water, having sure. your your membrane stripped too while you're in your in a in a, we hear that very commonly. Oh yes, uh, I agree. A vaginal exam at their doctor's office and yep. it's extremely painful and uncomfortable, and suddenly they're spotting and you know, and suddenly they're either in labor and or their water breaks prematurely, which we know is one of the the potential side effects. Um, yeah, so without consent, those happen. Those are all things that happen without consent regularly. I would agree, but I would also say that, Don, sometimes it's a little more subtle than that. Sometimes I've seen patients that the doctor says that he's going to start Pitocin, and he kind of makes it sound like, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And so the woman says yes, and she thinks it's not a whole great big deal. And it's a way bigger deal than they've made. Oh, yeah. That was exactly my first, um, with my first birth. I mean, they were just like, okay, well, you know, we're going to go ahead and start Pitocin now for you. And I was just like, okay, you know, like, great, let's do it. Let's get this baby out. You know, like I had no idea what was coming next and how unbelievable those contractions would be. Oh, yes. Very yes. And my labor became very rapidly un un manageable yeah you're out of control yeah you really are yeah because honestly I believe that a good nurse and a a good doula can talk somebody through regular contractions and Don I think I'm pretty good but I can't talk everybody through those horrific contractions of course now nowadays everybody just has your epidural and that's that's another whole story yeah but I I also want to say there have been a lot of things that have been equated, linked to, I guess, linked to um, 
the potential negative effects of oxytocin, that is synthetic oxytocin. Yes, oxytocin is a hormone. We've got the oxytocin in our our bodies, but that's normal, internal, biological, whatever you want to call it. Yes. The stuff that we hang on the IV is synthetic. Right. It's that's that no that is a whole other thing and i don't know if i've mentioned this on the show before or not but now would be a good time for me to to, uh say that they have shown that in fact this the um the oxytocin pitocin pitocin is just the trade name uh has also impacted breastfeeding experiences as well and honestly i i just cannot imagine any doctor saying that because they don't even think about where the breastfeeding piece comes in, which, of course, is one of the reasons why we had Dawn here today. So, anyway, uh, folks, don't go away. Dawn Thompson and I will be right back after this short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. What's the weirdest place I've ever done it? Probably at my niece's high school musical during intermission. I've done it on an airplane. In our minivan while his mother was driving. Hi, Mom. What's the weirdest place I've ever pumped? Probably the car dealership. In the bathroom at my sister's wedding. Finding a good place to pump can be hard. Donating breast milk is easy. No matter where you've pumped, you'd make a good donor to the Mother's Milk Bank at Austin. Learn how your milk can save lives at milkbank.org slash gooddonor. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894 and ask for your bulk discount. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Voice America. 
You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuso, and I have with me today my guest, Don Thompson. Don, talk to us a little bit about electronic fetal monitoring. That's certainly an intervention, one that is, I would say, common, routine. Uh, can you give us some guidelines on how mothers can, I don't, I don't know if it's possible to avoid it, but how can mothers minimize the amount of electronic fetal monitoring that they're exposed to? Well, I mean, I think making sure that your hospital is not doing continuous fetal monitoring. That is extremely outdated at this point and should not be part of what we're doing. And I think it's important to understand how it's affected the cesarean rate. Um, When you look at um, over time, the cesarean rate jumped significantly when we introduced electrofetal monitoring without better outcomes. Right. So we're, not, we're not seeing better outcomes. Um, and in fact, we're just seeing, you know, more cesareans. We've had a 500% increase in cesarean since the 70s. That sounds about right to me. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I did not look this up uh, before the show, but last I knew, which was six months or so ago, the cesarean rate in the United States is hovering in the 32% neighborhood nationwide and was as much as 40% in the state of Alabama. Now, that's an awful lot of kids. And by the way, I said this a few minutes ago about antibiotics, and Dawn was talking about the microbiome. I personally have never worked in a hospital where somebody got a cesarean without getting the antibiotics. And oh, by the way, the cesarean rate has increased after we got the electronic fetal monitoring and Don is right. There, well, actually, Don, I'm going to go a little bit further. It is my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it is my understanding that we put electronic fetal monitoring on the market before we had any evidence that it would actually improve outcomes. Am I right? That is correct. Yeah. 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 And, and we've s- continued to use it even though it's proven over and over again to only that the only thing that it's accomplished is increasing our cesarean rate. Um, there's a there. In fact, evidence-based birth has, uh, I mentioned them before, has a yeah, great yeah. on electrofetal monitoring and the studies that have been done on it. And so, I mean, it's, I always encourage people to have a discussion with their providers, right? Absolutely. Ahead of time yes. and bring the evidence with you. Like you can have a really powerful discussion if you've gone through an article and you've read the experience, because I think we all have an opportunity. Providers, in, in, in my opinion, don't typically stay, stay up on all of that sort of stuff. They don't. And especially because then it affects how they, if they did know it, they would have to change the way they practice. I think and that's so, true. I think yeah. it's just as much our responsibility to bring stuff like that to their attention mm-hmm. and express our expectations of just, and here's the other thing that I always used to tell client, all my clients is the minute that you are asking for permission, you're handing over the power. Ooh. It is so important that when you are demanding something and I don't mean demand in a rude way because right. there's a way to right. do it perfectly. I'm just saying like, 
So my plan here today, when you're with an, you, you're walking in the hospital. So my plan here today is to have intermittent monitoring or no monitoring at all, except for maybe every couple of hours. And here is the information that I know about. I'm happy to give it to you. And just, just so we're clear right away, there's no like, um, is it okay if I don't do monitoring? Because the minute yes. you do that, you now that's, give the power yes. over someone. That's a else. different message. Yes. And that's true with everything. Hey, I'm not going to have my baby have erythromycin today. Um, is it versus, is it okay if we don't do erythromycin today? Like you, it, it makes a huge difference because now you've given them the, the power over, the, over to them. That's and a huge point. Yeah. yeah your yeah. job is to, is to, is to stay in, in the boss role, essentially. Uh, Don, I just want to interrupt here, which is people, if, if, if people are sitting there saying, now how could electronic fetal monitoring be associated with an increase in uh, uh, cesarean rates? My immediate response, not being, I mean, I'm really not up on this literature anymore, but I can tell you, but as soon as you put the electronic fetal monitor on the woman for heaven only knows how long, she is in a recumbent position. She yeah. is horizontal. Our bodies are not meant to give birth horizontally. Then that's another whole, uh, I could talk for ages on that. You have got her when she's not ambulating and she's probably not comfortable. And so what you have, it's not, I guess what I'm trying to say is it's not the electronic fetal monitoring itself. It is all of these other things that feed into it, which probably explains it. No, I mean, it is about the fetal monitoring as well. I mean, those things play a part, but I, I, I can't pull the number off the top of my head right now, but it, it, it had, it showed that there was a significant false positive. Oh yeah. Right. I would agree. Yeah. Right. So, you know, they're picking up D cells or not Mm -hmm. really, you know, like showing D cells, but there aren't really actually D cells and. Um, but it's the false positive rate was significantly high, but I'm, I, I apologize. I don't know the number off the top of my head. Yeah. And I would also say that sometimes it's just misread and that is another whole thing that goes into it. Certainly. So Don, before, before we uh, close out today, uh, tell us a little bit about your organization, because in my younger heyday, it seems to me that it started out as Kim's, the, uh, C-I-M-S. And you have, I'm not sure, retooled it, taken over it. Tell, tell us, give us a quick history here. Well, um, Kim's, the Coalition for Improving Maternity Services, um, was established as a coalition with a bunch of um, maternal health leaders, and they developed the 10 Steps to Mother Friendly, which right. was, um, you know, a guide for hospitals to become more current and and um, mother-friendly hospitals. Um there were some challenges with it. Uh, when I knew that when I started improving birth, my goal was always to start a, a hospital accreditation program. Mm, um, ambitious. Help. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that. Yes. And it's taken six years to get to this point. But um, <laughs> instead of seeing that work go, uh, you know, away and not being utilized, I approached Kim's and I suggested that um, we merge with them mm. and um, that we move that that accreditation or that the 10 steps into an actual accreditation. Um, and we are 
successfully doing that. We've got, we're working on the uh, mother-friendly hospital accreditation. It's currently in two pilot locations for birth centers, in-hospital birth centers, uh, which they will be called alongside units, which is what they call them in Europe. Um, They'll be mother-friendly alongside units. So we've got a couple of, um, of pilots going there. And then we're working on the curriculum for the labor and delivery units, the midwife, the midwifery centers, they, um, they automatically qualify because they support most of them anyway, sure. support yeah. physiological birth. They don't do inductions. They don't do cesareans, they don't, you know, like, so they automatically qualify, but labor and delivery units, um, need to reduce their cesarean rates. That's all there is to Absolutely. it. They need to reduce it's way their out of control. Rates. Yes. And, Absolutely. um, wow. we, we want to be able to help them. And it's not just about the statistics, Sure. It's not just about the numbers. It's about a cultural shift that needs oh, yes. to happen. And so we're working to hire a behavioral therapist, a behavioral specialist who can help us work to create a curriculum that encourages actual change and not just PowerPoint presentations. Oh, Don, my hat is off to you. We've only got a few seconds left before we close out here. Could you please give us the name of your website? Because I want people to go and read about those red flags and all of the other things that you've talked about today. It is? Uh, www.improvingbirth.org. Absolutely. And so... uh, it has been a real pleasure to have with us today, Dula, Don Thompson. Don, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. Have a great day. And for those of you who are wondering, Don will be doing her thing, but I will be doing my thing here next week. Be sure to join us. I'm Marie Biancuso. You'll find me at MarieBiancuso.com. And I will see you all next week. In the meanwhile, remember, your baby was born to be breastfed. Have a great week. Thank you for tuning in this week to Born to be Breastfed. Please join Marie Biancuso next Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. This week, do its best for you and your baby.